Mark 10, 13 through 34. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And he said to, and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but, with God, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And he said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was, talk was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, for those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, thank you, Abigail. That's, uh, we got a lot to cover, as y'all can see today. A lot of scripture to read together and to, and to dive into. Um, as uh, Alex said so well, if you're new, and if you're not new, um, welcome. Uh, my name is... Dave, if you're not new and you don't know that, man, I'm hurt. But um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church Tucson. And um, just a way of a, a, just a heads up there at the front, I have a stutter. So again, if you've never heard me preach and you're like, what's going on in and out? It's, it's fine. Just go with it. But no, um, so anyway, it'll kind of come in and out as we go. And um, as I said, we have a lot to cover. So I want to just say right at the start, um, if you'll go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 10, 
um, in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible with you, if you could go ahead and hold your hand up high and somebody will get you one. And um, también si necesitas en español, tenemos, um, diga español. So I can't preach in Spanish, but if you um, prefer a Bible in Spanish, just say Espanol, and then somebody will get you one. And um, as you're going there, let me say this. I'm going to try to do this more often. But if you got one of the Bibles that we handed out, one of the white ones, it's on page 549. And if you have the black, um, the black hardback one that's in Spanish, it's on page um, 1379. It's like double because it's in both languages. So there you go. So as they're handing out, as you're turning there, as we're getting into it together, um, I'm going to share about it in an article I read this week. How many of you have heard of, um, it's online, it's kind of an online article called The Art of Manliness. Many of you, yes. Okay, so we have some. The Art of Manliness. And it's, it's a great little article that I read from time to time, as you can tell. Um, it's working. No. Um, it's got all kinds of just good things. It talks about like how to trim your beard or how to, how to brew the perfect cup of coffee, some, some, some helpful things. But one article this week particularly caught my eye as I was preparing for the sermon, and it was how to, how to own the room or, or how, to, how to come into a place and, and kind of command attention. And as a 5'5 you know, five, five guy, I'm like, yeah, I need that. I need some help getting noticed. But no, the whole, the whole article, though, basically talked about even the picture was like a guy that everybody was just enamored with. And, 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 the, and the image, from the image to the article content, the idea is basically how to be the man that every other man wants to be or um, how to be the man that every woman wants to be with. It's kind of this like, this is how to, how to, how to be a self-made man. And, and, and the idea is kind of, you know, present yourself with self-confidence, present yourself with self-assurance, be, be self-led, self-taught, self-everything. And, and the idea is, is um, you know, if you have insecurity, just work on it and, and, and become, become the man. And, and, that's, and that's the idea that's really being presented. But um, I, hear me, if um, no matter how much bravado or machismo you have or carry, um, you're a needy person. All right, you're, you're everyone in here, I can confidently say that, 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 that you are needy and, and dependent. And yet the, the lie that we believe is that's a bad thing, is, is you need to get rid of that. You need to you present yourself like you have it all together. And, and you're, you're needy because that's how God created us to be. In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. God created us to live in our relationship with him and with one another based on our dependence on God. That who God is, his character, his quality, his nature would inform and define who we are. And that by nature, we would, we would reflect him as we depend on him. That's who he created us to be. But... That's uncomfortable for us because of what the Bible calls the fall. It's, it's unnatural for us to hear, yeah, neediness. is. It, admit that you're a needy person. Admit that you don't have it 
altogether in and of yourself. We're like, yeah, really? That's, I mean, that's not what I read in, you know, Maxim or Men's Health or I don't know the, I don't know, Cosmo. Um, you know, we're like, that's not what I heard there. Like, I heard you're supposed to have it all together. But it's because we said, God, we don't want our relationship with you. We, that's, we, we turned our backs and we said, we don't like this, this, this creator-created relationship, this, this image-bearing um, and image-bearers uh, relationship. So we're going to turn away from you and we're going to figure it out on ourselves. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna define who we are on our own. And that's where sin and brokenness and um, self-esteem issues and, and anxiety and, and all kinds of things really at its root flow out of our obsession with depending on ourselves. And so the good news, though, is that um, God doesn't leave us there and say, well, figure it out, all right? You want your cake, you can have it, you can eat it, how's it go? You want your cake and you want to eat it too? You can do it on your own, go for it, good luck. But we constantly try to do that, but the good news is that, is that God says, no, I, I will restore you. Your dependence is, is a good thing, and so God comes, and, 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 and then as we've learned throughout this, we've been seeing throughout Mark, as we're marching through, we're seeing that Jesus is God the Son, and He's come, fully God, fully man. He's come and He's bringing in His kingdom. And, and the question that we've been asked throughout is, who is Jesus, and what is He doing? And then in response to that, who, who are you, and how do you respond to Him? And, and, the, and the message that Jesus is proclaiming here is that his kingdom requires humility, requires dependence. And what we've seen as we've gone through over the last few weeks, just to catch us up, we've seen that, that God is indeed making all things new and that Jesus is showing what it means to be serious about sin. And then he's showing what it means to be serious about marriage and about our relationships. And then this week we'll see what it means to be serious about following Him. And at its core, it has to do with our dependence, with who we are as dependent people. And again, I just want to say before, I'm going to pray and I want to, uh, us all to embrace the fact and to be honest with ourselves that that's not natural. That, that presenting ourselves humbly um, isn't easy. In fact, it's offensive to us. So with that, let's pray and ask God to help us embrace His Word and His truth and what He says about who we are. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your authority. Um, thank You, Jesus, that You, being fully God and fully man, came as the only perfect man so that we don't need to um, present something that we're not. So we don't need to use our own effort to try to present ourselves as something that we and everybody else knows isn't true. Lord, what a, what a circus we've ended up in by um, trying to establish our own identity apart from you. And, and so I pray that now as we get into your word, as we spend time together hearing what you have to say about our nature of dependence, and, and Lord, about what humility really looks like, I pray that you would lead us through this time. And, and I thank you, and we trust in you, and we submit to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So pick up Mark 10, verse 13. So again, Jesus just got done teaching on marriage and now picking up in verse 13, it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might 
touched them. So this is um, not, a, not a terribly uncommon practice because a, a, a rabbi or a particular authority figure, and we, we do the same type of thing in our day, right? It would be if you went and met the president, you might think, oh, let me get a, a picture of my kids with the president and hope that maybe he'll give them a little word of affirmation or a little, you know, stay in school type speech or something like that. And, um, and so this same kind of idea was like this, this authoritative rabbi, let me get my kids close to this person. Maybe he'll just kind of touch them from afar. Maybe they'll be, they'll be blessed. And yet his disciples, his followers, um, pick back up with me. What does it say they do? The disciples rebuke them. They're like, get away, kids, get away. Even though Jesus has talked about this very thing earlier, they forget because they're kind of operating on their own cultural context and they're not seeing through the, the lenses of, of the kingdom of God. And so they're seeing these, these um, kids as really how everybody else saw them in that day, as kind of the least of these. You know, you, you may have grown up in a home or heard the saying, you know, kids are, you know, to be seen and not heard. And in this day, it was almost like not heard or seen. They were, they were um, until, from when they were born until adulthood, they were even seen as like a drain on society. So they're, they're really, kids didn't have this kind of, like Instagrams weren't being filled up with pictures of kids and all that they do at this time. People didn't like that at all. And what does Jesus say? He, he, he responds to them and it says, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. I love that. He wasn't, he wasn't passive. He didn't enter in and say, ah, you know, it's just the way people are. No, he was indignant. And he says, he says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then in verse 15, he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That was crazy talk in this day. Again, children are outcasts, they're, they're just needy, they're, they're dependent little beings that are just, you know, sucking up everything that their parents are working hard for. Some of us want to say amen to that, but don't feel the freedom, right? Some of us feel that way, um, let's be honest, but, 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 but Jesus is, 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 is hitting on something key here. He's saying, look, these kids and their dependents, in their, in, their, in their vulnerability, they reflect who we all really are. Unless you come to me dependent, needy, clinging to nothing of your own, you, you don't get to partake in the kingdom of heaven. And so as we talk about humility, as we look at humility as Jesus talks about it, we think of it as, and you might even be entering this sermon and thinking, all right, it's a good trait that some people have, humility. I should be a little more humble, but if we're honest, it doesn't really help your business practices if you're you know too humble like you need to kind of have some some kind of self-produced arrogance some kind of or we kind of like to church it up and talk about you know you know confidence or he's sure of himself or she she really knows what she wants to get out of the a situation and we and we like to kind of come at it with that but but Jesus doesn't give us that out he says unless you are like these kids you don't get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven in, in a similar exchange, as Jesus, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard of it. In, 
Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins this most famous of all sermons by saying something equally um, uh, upside down to the way we think. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the same idea here. People in that day, and if we're honest with ourselves in our own day, are like, poor, poor, there's nothing good about poverty. What does it mean to be blessed to be poor in spirit? How on earth could he be saying, be like a child? And And we might read that and think it means, oh, you know, be playful, be innocent, be all these things, these childlike qualities, but that's really not where Jesus is going with this. He's saying the very thing that you are disdained by in these kids, their neediness, their dependence, is absolutely essential to being a part of the kingdom of heaven. These these kids get what it's all about. They They don't have this false image. They don't come with all these things and bring it to the table. They're dependent. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the children. Blessed are those who know their neediness, who know their dependence, because then they will more rightly come to Jesus. And then, as he goes on, we see in this a perfectly contrasting story of the guy who has it all together. The man's man, the art of manliness uh, photo boy, the, the, the trophy picture of manliness. This guy comes up to Jesus, and we see the same point is made. So pick it up in verse 17. And he was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he went on and he told him, You know the commandments. And, and, and then the man responds to Jesus and says, Yeah, 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 I've done all those things. I've, I, I have upheld the law. And a lot of us have heard, if you've ever heard a sermon on this before, you may think, um, man, this guy is just coming up to Jesus, kind of unauthentic. He's, got, he's just got something to prove. He's trying to show everyone else up. And, and that's not the case here. The, the interaction he has with Jesus and the, and the language used actually reveal this guy was, was, was sincere in his question. Because according to his understanding, according to his broken posture, he was doing the best he could to be right with God. He had it all together. He, he was honoring the law, right? It's not like he was just some arrogant, you know, guy walking around, kind of strutting his stuff. It's, no, he was, he was giving his all to be right with God. But, but he was doing it in light of the, the wrong message, the lie that we should be able to get ourselves right with God and right with others. And we should be self-made, self-led, self-assured, self-everything if we just work hard enough. And so he bought into that lie and that's what he was doing. And so he comes before Jesus and he says, and he says, Jesus, what else do I need to do? He's looking for something to do. But in Jesus's response to him, he exposes the man's need. He says, as he looks at him, it says he loved him and he said to him, except you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. 
And so we might read this and be like, okay, so wealth is a bad thing. Go sell everything you have. Uh, no, Jesus is exposing something. He says you lack one thing. He's, he's surgically getting to the root of this guy's problem. And one author, Paul Tripp, says this. There's, um, he, 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 he tells us this. He speaks about this interaction. He says this. A rich ruler comes to Jesus to ask him about eternal life. It's a very good question that gets a very hard and honest answer. As you read the conversation, it doesn't look like Jesus is engaging in very successful evangelism by modern standards. In a moment of complete honesty, Jesus doesn't work to make the gospel attractive. Rather, he hones in on and exposes the central idolatry of this man's heart. Idolatry means what you, what you give ultimate, absolute worth to. What defines you. So he's exposing the idolatry of this man's heart. And Jesus tells this man the bad news he needs to hear if he is ever to want the good news he so desperately needs. Jesus is getting at the very heart of this man's place of comfort. The place where he goes, his source of life, his source of hope. The art of manliness, article, all these other things that we read, if we're honest, it's getting to, if I have that, my security, my identity, my position will all be met through whatever that is. And in this man's case, yes, it is his wealth. But Jesus isn't just going after having money or wealth. He's going after the idolatry of this man's heart. He says, one thing you still lack, that thing he still lacks, is what the children have. A poverty, a dependence, nothing else to rely upon. Right? This guy is not just an arrogant guy coming up and Jesus just kind of rebukes him and puts him in his place. And we read this and we hear, oh, don't be, don't, if you're tall and good looking, you know, like me, guys, nobody else gets it. We, we could talk to each other. No, we, we think that this is just getting at something of wealth and of, of, of popularity and of, of power and, and youth perhaps because he's called, you know, from the different accounts of young ruler so we pick whichever one of those we're not or we're more offended by and we think that's what Jesus is really going after but that's not it he's going after the the very source of this guy's identity and his hope it's a lack of dependence on his relationship with God it's a lack of understanding that he is a needy person and so some of us read this and we want to be like, hey man, I get that. Humility, I got it. Um, lack of wealth, not having your identity wrapped up in anything else. Hey, I'm poor, so good. I've, I've got it. I don't need to read this. Go on, amen, everyone else. You should be ashamed of yourselves. But let's be real. Like if you've grown up in poverty, if you've ever experienced poverty, I did myself. And I'll, I'll be real. Some of the most um, like money centered people are those who don't have it. Sometimes you grow up in whatever it might be and you're, and you're, um, you're just convinced, if I had that, I, all my needs would be met. If I had all the money in the world, if I had what that person has, then I'd be set, I'd be good, I'd give a lot away, I'd, everything would be good, but that's my need. Once my, that need is met, I'm good. Or like this guy, you have 
And so you come at it from a different angle. If what I have is taken away, then I'll be ruined. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach life by holding it in, in some kind of a, a death grip. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out how to walk that line well because all that I have, all that I depend on is right here. And if that's taken away, I'm ruined. But it's the same thing. All right? We, can we say an amen to that? Because for real, we're, we're all equally, we've, we, we've said this before, um, we can find comfort in knowing we're all going to be uncomfortable together as we come before the good news of Jesus. The, the surgeon surgically exposing our brokenness is going to be uncomfortable. And, and, and I can say too, I just, some of you might even be thinking like, oh, of course, Dave's, Dave's um, preaching on humility because he gets that. He's short and he stutters. And you might not be. I know someone in this room actually made some comments at me yesterday that um, hit home on this. But seriously, one, one person actually said this to me. You, you may have heard something similar to this. We were talking about pride. We we're in a group of men sitting around talking about our sin struggles. And someone literally was like, Dave, you don't seem like, you probably don't really struggle with, with pride, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? He's like, and essentially he's saying, you have nothing to be proud about. <laughs> so clearly, that's not your deal. And I'm like, no, be, I'm all the more proud because I want to prove you wrong right now. I'm taking you down. Um, and, uh, but, but seriously, wherever we're at, whatever angle we're coming from, we are prideful people. We can sugarcoat it in all kinds of different ways, whether we're poor or we're wealthy or we're naturally confident or we're tall and good looking or we're short and maybe not as good looking and whatever it might be, we can make an idol out of anything. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And so his followers rightly are confused by this. And Jesus gets into it and explains it better to him because that man walks away discouraged. Because like so many of us, like modern day Christianity, Jesus is the, 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 the little boost to get us over that next hump that we need. Jesus is, you know, I try to be a good person, but... I just need a little bit of Jesus, and then I'll be good. And so that's the posture this guy came. Jesus, I've been getting it all together. I've been doing everything I can, but clearly there's still a need. What is it? Show me what I can do. And in this, Jesus exposes, you can't do anything. What you need to do is recognize your neediness. And that's offensive to this guy. And he walks away sad, and and we're told that it it saddens Jesus as well. And so then Jesus goes on, and he goes on, and he tells a story about a camel in the eye of the needle in verse 23. So Jesus looks around at the rest of his disciples. He's like, what? Because this guy walks off, and they're all kind of sitting there, standing there confused. And Jesus looks at them, and he says... How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, because again, this isn't Jesus talking down on wealth. It's because especially in their day, like our day, if you have wealth, if you have whatever is, 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 is platformed in that day, you have it all together. You're not, you're not a needy person. And yet Jesus has shown, no, 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 the all-stars, those who have it all together... 
don't get to be a part of the kingdom of God because they are going to come at me thinking they have something to offer me rather than understanding their absolute desperate need for me. That's what Jesus is exposing. And then he says to them how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes into a hilarious word picture. And he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? And you may have heard, I'm sure some of you in here have heard different explanations of this word picture. And some have heard probably that there was a a little gate in the old city of Jerusalem that in order to get into the city, um, merchants and different people had camels with all their stuff and all their belongings. And in order to not overcrowd the, the economy of Jerusalem and all these things that a camel had to get down on its little legs, arms and knees. I don't really know how, an, how a camel does like an army crawl and would get through the, the, the hole in the wall. So it was hard, but, but still possible. And a lot of people think, oh yeah, that's what this is talking about. That Likely that, that hole never existed. And even if so, that myth didn't even surface until like the ninth century. So, so this is not, Jesus isn't saying, here's how you toe the line. You're looking to toe the line, let me tell you. In case you haven't picked up on it, that's not Jesus' nature. He, he doesn't tend to be like, oh, you're looking for a loophole? Let me give you the best one. He doesn't do that, and that's not what he's doing here. He's literally talking about an enormous, ridiculous-looking, spitting camel trying to get through a little hole in a needle. That is what he's talking about. And so rightly, his disciples are like, wait, what? Um, That's impossible. Then how does somebody get into the kingdom of heaven? If it's not through having it all together. Like that rich young ruler who just came up, Jesus, who you just sent away. Um, man, which, why did you do that, by the way? Why didn't you keep him around? He was an influencer. He could potentially lead some communities. That guy would have been a tither. He would have been like, why didn't you just make it a little easier to, to, to accept that kind of gospel would have been really, he would have been around. And No, because Jesus loves us too much to ever skirt around the hard truth that we need to have exposed so that the good news will be revealed as good news. So that we will see our desperate need met through the person and work of Jesus. He is so committed to us that he'll expose whatever it is we're depending on most so that we will see our need for him more clearly. And so they say, Jesus, how do we, how do we enter the kingdom of heaven then? And he says... Well, it's um, impossible for man. But what is impossible for man is possible by God. And he's, he's, he's setting them up. He's building them up. He's exposing their desperate need once again. And then Peter, as he often does, I'm not going to walk through every little part of it, but Peter is starting to get the gospel. He's starting to understand a little more. And he's like, oh yeah, Jesus, we left our families. Remember that time we were out there, you know, fishing at the boats and you said leave and you said something about hating your family compared to me. And I mean, we do still love our family, but we love you ultimately. You're, you're, and so we've left our family and we've left our jobs and we've left all these things. Um, we're a little confused. 
And so Jesus affirms them. He says, you're right. And anyone who's done that will indeed partake in the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 30, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. And all these things. And he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus is saying, you're right. You have left all those things. It, it's not that you left those things. It's not that wealth is bad. It's not that family is bad. It's that, it's that clinging on to those is your ultimate source of hope keeps you from rightly trusting in Jesus. So he says, you're right. If you rightly trust in me, then, then you will be taken care of. You will partake in the kingdom. But they don't still fully get it because they can't. Because the clearest demonstration, hear me, look at me. If you're wondering if God loves you, if you're wondering if, if your need will be met, the clearest picture of that has already been given in the cross. And, and, and the people of this day have not yet seen the most clear revelation of God's love for us, of God's, of God's upside-down nature of His kingdom. And so Jesus is, is revealing that to them. And He says what's impossible with man. You're right, through your own effort, through your own identity, through, through doing the very best you can, will not get you into the kingdom. It's impossible for man. But it's possible for God. And then He goes on, He says, The first will be last, and the last will be first. And again, we could hear that sermon and just go off on a rampage and talk about be humble and be more humble and be, never be the first one to go through a lunch line. And sometimes we get really weird about that and really legalistic. And you might be at a, at a Christian Bible study or one of our redemption communities and everyone's like sitting there waiting because they're like, I'm not going to be the first one, you know, first every last. And somebody even kind of says that joke and whatever. And then I just swoop in and say, hey, I'm like chicken and going for it. Because that's not what this is talking about. Yes, a posture of service and of, of loving others. But again, it wouldn't be in line with what Jesus is saying with the gospel if it's just try to be more giving of others. That, that doesn't fit. What Jesus is doing here is he's setting them up for what comes next. And, and let me say next, that would have been a great cliffhanger. Next week, come back, you'll get the, the answer. But we are going to actually go there right now. But next week we're going to talk about this too because in this last section here that we're in today, verses 32 through 34, um, Jesus gives the, the third and, and final of what's called the, the, uh, the, 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 the passion prophecies. He, it, this is like a clue. This is where he ties it all together for you and me. When we say look to the cross, it's, it's, it's like places here where Jesus shows this is what I'm talking about. And remember, they haven't seen it yet. And so every time they're confused by when Jesus talks about himself. He talks about the, God's answer. He talks about the ultimate man's man. He who is first choosing to be last. And that's what Jesus does. He goes in here in verse 32. And they're on, their road, on the road. They're making their way to Jerusalem. A clue again that, Jesus, that, that the cross wasn't an afterthought. The cross wasn't Jesus being like, Man, I'm here. I guess I better make the most of it. Know that all along he's on a trajectory, on a mission toward Jerusalem to, to where he would, he would lay his life down on the cross. So they're on their way and they're picking up in verse 33. Jesus says this. He says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death 
and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And you want to, and they're like, no, 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 you're getting it all wrong. It's like you're preparing for the Super Bowl by saying like, we're, we're going to, um, we're going to just, right when we get the ball, we're going to run in our own end zone and just get safety after safety after safety. Or we're going to just get the ball and kick it up. And it's like, they're like, no, 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 you, your game planning is all turned upside down, Jesus. And he's just go, he goes on and on. He says in verse 34, and not only that, they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. He who is first shall be last. Jesus is not just saying, be more humble. Go ahead, try it. No, he's, he, he's exposing here, your most desperate need is to be humble, is to be dependent upon God. But you can't even do that on your own. So the Son of Man will come and do what you cannot do. And then in the end, he will rise. That, that's just a little assurance that, again, you and I get to look at the empty tomb. We get to celebrate the, the good news of Easter every Sunday, every day of our lives. We get to see, that's right, he, he is victorious, but they still didn't, and they're confused. But what Jesus is exposing, what Jesus is revealing to you and me today, as well as to his audience here, is that your most desperate need is to live in a dependent relationship perfectly relating to your Creator. But even that you cannot do. So as we close here, we're in a place right now, I understand, where some of these dots might not be perfectly connected. Because let's go back to the beginning. Who is Jesus? What is He doing? He's Almighty God, God the Son. He's bringing in His perfect kingdom. Who are you? And how do you respond to Him? The answer to that is we're, we're, we're sinners, we're broken, we're needy, but in our nature we are offended by our neediness. And so the, if we just end this with five easy steps to being more humble, we're going to fail. We can't do that. Yes, the message is this. The kingdom of God requires humility. It's not... It's not just a good little trait to try to work on for some people. It is absolutely essential, absolutely foundational to having a relationship with God and entering into His perfect, glorious kingdom. But you and I can't do it on our own. Yet, the good news is look to Jesus. So you might be asking, rightly you're asking, so how then? How can I be more humble? The answer is look to Jesus. It's actually spelled out very clearly here for us in Philippians chapter 2. One last passage that we'll read. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We'll come back to that. But look to Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How are you more humble? By looking to the one who is perfectly humble when you and I are unable to be humble ourselves. Have this mind among you. To be humble is not something that you work at. It's something that God has given you. 
through faith in Jesus. If you are counted in Christ, verse 5, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have put your trust in Jesus, if you are counted as one of His, He has given you humility. And so the answer of how to be more humble, of how to live humbly, of how to have a humble posture, of how to choose and aspire not to be first but to be last, how do you do that? You don't just say, what would Jesus do like we talked about last week? You don't try harder to be more humble because in so doing, are you following me? In so doing, you're actually becoming more proud, right? If you're looking at yourself to be more humble, that's actually digging us further and further into the hole of pride. So simply rest in the good news that Jesus is the man that you and I could never be. And Jesus took on humility, which you and I could never do. We're offended by, but he did it. And then Jesus accomplished the victory that you and I could never accomplish. Through any number of articles, through any any amount of effort, through anything that we could ever do, Jesus has done it. And then Jesus rose from the dead so that in him we can be the people God has created us to be. We can live humbly as He calls us to live. We can live victoriously and confidently in such a way that can never be shaken or never be taken away because of the victory He has already won. The kingdom of God requires humility. And the good news is that Jesus provides it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do come before you thanking you for who you are. Um, I don't know about everyone else in here, but I know even as I prepared for this, there was a lot of, lot of heart checking that had to go on. That um, I, There were so many easy outs to say, of course I'm humble, of course I'm not proud, I don't have anything. I don't have wealth, I don't have good looks, I don't have power, I don't have position, I don't have whatever it is, and all these easy outs to get away from the reality that at our nature, we want to go at it alone, apart from you. So thank you that you first loved us. Thank you that you took on humility as our king. Thank you that you laid down your life so that in you we may have life. So Lord Jesus, I pray now that we will rightly respond to you. Lord, I pray that, that again, counterintuitively, as we die to self, we will find life in you. I pray that as we die to, to pride, as we don't look inward, as we look crossword, Lord, we can be confident. We can have hope that cannot be taken away. So Lord Jesus, now as we respond, I pray that we will rightly respond with our eyes set on the finished work of Jesus. As we respond to him in gratitude and confession, in worship and in joy. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.